Hello and welcome to Quick Hits. I'm your host, Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis. Wow, 2020 is turning out to be quite a lousy year already, isn't it? It's funny, you know, when it started, as speaking as a Canadian, I was thrilled to see the men's junior hockey team win the World Championship in the Czech Republic, so it looked like 2020 was getting off to a really good start. And yet, soon afterwards, we saw the U.S. killing of IRGC Commander General Soleimani, we saw the Iranian retaliation, and then we saw the downing of the Ukrainian airline, in which 68 Canadians and a total of 176 people were killed. All of this was basically the aftermath of the rise in tension between the United States and Iran in the region, which leads me to speculate on just how the rest of the year is going to go. I have a longer podcast that may interest you. You can get it on my website, www.borealisthreatenrest.com, in which I take a look at what I think is going to happen in the world of terrorism in 2020. But this short podcast today stems from an article I read just today about a decision by France after a meeting with several Sahel partners. These are countries, sort of sub-Saharan countries in West and Northwest Africa, to send more military troops, more French military troops, to the region to deal with counterterrorism and insurgency. Interestingly, a lot of local actors in the region were asking that France leave the area. This is for a number of reasons. France is the former colonial power in that area of the world, and local populations felt that A, they don't want to see any more of an old colonial power, and B, they felt that perhaps the French presence in the area was doing more harm than good. Nevertheless, France has agreed to send more foreign troops, i.e. soldiers, to the region, which will work in conjunction with local law enforcement, law enforcement and military to try to deal with what is an increasing terrorist problem in that part of Africa. Again, more details in a longer podcast that you can get from my website. This whole thing has made me wonder about something which I learned as a child, and that was a phrase that one of my teachers used in elementary school, and at the time I had no idea what she meant, but she said, you know, history repeats itself. Another phrase which is related to this is that those who forget their history are damned to repeat it. What does all this mean? All this means is that we in fact are, it seems, we're on a one-way ticket, one-way path to repeating the same mistakes we've made historically. And more specifically, given this is a podcast on terrorism, I'm talking about the actions and policies that we adopt to deal with terrorism, both domestically and internationally. You look at terrorism today in 2020, and you see a whole host of movements, different ideological underpinnings, whether it's Islamist or, or far right or far left or white supremacist or whatever. I want to focus largely on Islamist extremism for the two reasons I've cited on many occasions, so I apologize if I'm being repetitive here. One is that it's what I know best, having dealt with this phenomenon for the past 20 years, including 15 at CSIS, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, where I was a senior analyst looking at domestic Islamist extremism, and secondly, because it is the number one threat on the terrorist front, regardless of what people tell you anywhere, this is the thing we have to worry about most. And it seems to me that in terms of our approach, our response to terrorism, and by that I mean what we're putting in place to try to prevent terrorism from happening, try to identify terrorists before they strike, is that we're repeating the same mistakes that we've been repeating for the past century and a half. Now, those earlier mistakes weren't terrorism related, but they had to do with foreign deployments, and they had to do with foreign actors in areas of the world where they don't belong. So let's look at three countries in particular with respect to that. Well, I'm looking at Afghanistan, look at Iraq, and look at what's happening in, in West Africa. So starting with Afghanistan, after 9-11, the Americans sent tens of thousands of U.S. soldiers to try and find Osama bin Laden, the leader of Al-Qaeda, to try to locate Al-Qaeda itself, 
to both punish the organization for its attacks on Washington and in New York, as well as to bring them to justice. Now, in the end, they finally did find bin Laden in 2011, and they end up killing him, although he was in Pakistan, not Afghanistan. Nevertheless, U.S. has had soldiers, troops on the ground for almost 20 years now. A lot of talk in Washington about whether to withdraw those forces. President Trump, when he became president in 2016, vowed to get the Americans out of foreign wars, as opposed to keeping them in it. And yet we still see a large U.S. presence there. And in fact, Trump appears to be wanting to increase military deployments abroad. See, the problem is, and again, I've, I've said this on many occasions, but it's the very presence of foreign soldiers abroad that leads to terrorism. So you're, you're going there to fight terrorism, and yet by being there, you're in fact creating more terrorism because your very presence is an affront to many locals, and it's essentially fodder for terrorist groups. It acts as a recruiting tool because on many occasions, the presence of foreign forces leads to civilian deaths, unnecessary deaths, and that gets people angry. And some of those people who are angry will join terrorist groups. So the Americans had to go in a sense that they couldn't uh, let 9-11 happen without retribution. They couldn't not take action in, in the wake of the death of 3,000 of their own citizens. But the Americans are essentially repeating the same error that the Soviets did way back in 1979 when they invaded Afghanistan on Christmas Day. It was to prop up a communist government in the area, and yet the presence of the Soviets led to the creation of Al-Qaeda. And the Soviets end up withdrawing in the late 1980s to focus on other areas of the world. They realized they were, were not getting whatever it is they had planned to do for Afghanistan done. And so Russia, in fact, has been redeploying to Central Asia, to the Caucasus, and it's, it's creating terrorism there as well, in places like Chechnya, in places like Ingushetia. So the Americans are following on the Soviet mistake, and the Soviets were following on a mistake that occurred in the 19th century with Russia and England that tried to subdue Afghanistan, to make it do what, it, what they wanted to. And those two powers also sort of scurried back to their homes, embarrassed, and having been defeated by a bunch of ragtag soldiers at the time. Let's move a little further west to Iraq. And of course, it was the American invasion in 2003, ostensibly to uh, find weapons of mass destruction that Saddam Hussein did not have, ostensibly to find links or to punish Iraq for links to Al-Qaeda, which it did not have, or links to 9-11, which it did not have. And the decision to go into Iraq in 2003 led to the creation of Islamic State, which grew out of an Al-Qaeda affiliate to become a major terrorist group by 2014, established the Caliphate. And that group's still around, despite the fact we've had major military action against them, both by the Americans and by the Russians and the Syrians and Iranian proxy groups and the Iraqi government itself. The bottom line is that the military presence in the region of a number of actors has not, it maybe ha it succeeded in destroying the caliphate. It did not succeed in destroying Islamic State itself. In fact, Jordan's King Abdullah just said this morning that Islamic State is on the rise and he's worried about more attacks in the future. Well, let's move a little further west into Africa. We see that Kenya has decided to increase its forces in Somalia. So Kenya has been in Somalia for a number of years. And we are seeing that Al-Shabaab, the main terrorist group in Somalia, is, a is carrying out attacks in northeastern Kenya. Just the other day, they killed three teachers. They've attacked police posts. They've attacked universities. They've attacked hotels. And Al-Shabaab leaders have vowed to carry out more attacks in Kenya. Why? Because they want Kenya to withdraw forces from Somalia. Again, foreign forces on a soil that cause rancor, that they cause upset, they cause hatred, they cause anger, and some of that anger is funneled towards terrorist groups. So what do we do? We go there 
We sent forces abroad to fight in counterterrorism roles, and yet the very act of sending them abroad causes more terrorism. So what's the solution here? Can we not learn from our history that foreign deployments, foreign campaigns, rarely work out well? Didn't work in Vietnam in the 1960s, either by the French in the 50s or the Americans in the 60s. It has not worked in Somalia. It has not worked in Afghanistan. It has not worked in Iraq. It's not working for the French in the Sahel. And yet we seem to go back to the same well all the time and see this primarily as a military solution. As I've said before, you know, when, when you're in the military, it seems like the only tool you have is a hammer. And when you, all you have is a hammer, everything you see is a nail. And those nails are actually a lot more complicated than that. I don't have an answer for you. I wish I did. I think if I could solve this thing, I'd, I'd be a very wealthy man and, and be in great demand by a lot of governments around the world. It's not that I don't think there, there is a role for the military in counterterrorism. And I've stated that on, on many occasions. And in fact, I had a whole chapter on it in my, in my fourth book, An End to the War on Terrorism. But we really can't see this primarily as a military problem, a problem for which the military is the primary solution. We have to learn our lessons of history. You know, I want to end just briefly with looking at the situation in Iran right now. So the killing of IRGC general, the Iranian retaliation, and then the American, well, the Iranian shootdown to the Ukraine airliner, which was basically a result of the tension that has been rising between the United States and Iran. You know, the Americans have had a thing for the Iranians since 1979, but people forget that the Americans and the Brits were behind a coup in 1953 that basically overthrew a democratically elected government under Mossadegh and brought back the Shah, who was hated by his people. There you go. Again, we, you know, we haven't learned from our history lessons is that interfering in foreign governments rarely leads to a solution that's, that's either good for the local population, because it usually isn't, because it reflects foreign interests, or leads to stability down the road. I wish we could we could you know open up our history books, listen to historians, learn what we've did wrong, done wrong in the past, and then vow not to repeat it. I frankly doubt we're going to learn that lesson, and so we'll be having more conversations about this, and more bad decisions, bad policies, and bad deployments that in the end will lead to more terrorism and not less. Sorry to be so negative, but as I said, 2020 is already turning out to be a pretty tough year and it's only January the 14th. That's it for Quick Hits. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on borealisrisk at gmail.com. You can leave comments on my website www.borealisthreatenedrisk.com or on Twitter at borealisaves on Facebook or on LinkedIn. Also want to remind you, you can subscribe to all the content that's available on the Borealis website. So go to the website, go to the subscribe button, put in your details, you can get all this content for free. Podcasts, quick hits, perspectives, uh, other media, and the Today in Terrorism series, which will continue until the end of 2020. Hope to hear from you soon. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe.